are in Lent, and uh, believe it or not, missions is tied directly to Lent. It's tied to the very heart and soul of Lent. Um, as a kid growing up in church, I was in one of those churches where I counted every hole. They had those little perforated sound tiles up there. I counted every hole by the thousands because we didn't have children's church. We had Sunday school, and then we'd go sit through the entire church, and we had one of those churches that believed we should go to lunch after the Baptists, ask for the Presbyterians, after half the world. Maybe, you know, then we'd eat lunch around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we had these long services, and I just count everything in the ceiling. Oh, my goodness. Got in trouble. I got spanked every single service. It's one of those. Uh, Liam reminds me of myself. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, but what I always loved with Mission Sunday, whenever a missionary would come, and of course the deal was they'd pull out slides. I love the slides from Africa and the slides from all over India. We had lots from India. We had families from India that I kind of grew up with. So India was always in my heart. But I used to love those things, and it got into my heart as a kid. Um, so I found myself by the age of 16. Um, operating suicide hotlines in Kansas City. Drugs had just hit as a major thing, and so, and the drugs of vogue back then, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, were the psychogenics that uh, really mess with people. And uh, so I was, you know, I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew how to care for people. I was not a clinical psychologist. I couldn't do the detailed things, but what I could do was share with them that I loved them. And that somebody, somewhere on this revolving ball, cared about them at that moment. And it was enough to get them off of church steeples and uh, talk them out of stuff. And that got in my heart, too. I just started caring for people. There's something about missions that will get you. And that's what the subject today. Missions in the church is part of Lent. And you just read a scripture. The background on that was... Uh, the writer is trying to encourage the Gentile church, the non-Jewish church. He's writing, basically this was called a letter to Rome, but it was to the non-Jewish church not to give up on the Jewish people because by then they had been become the ones that everyone was going to give up on. There's no way to, to win them. It's too hard. Uh, and so in the process, that scripture we just read, that's where he started saying, Somebody's got to go. This doesn't just happen by accident. And we're going to talk about that, and you're going to see just how linked these things are. Basically, the resurrection, which is something we are spending time preparing for uh, through Lent. The resurrection was an explosion that opened a door for a permanent change. We know that when Jesus came as a baby, that was an invasion of this planet by God, to reclaim what he originally built and also to reclaim his plan. Uh, it was foreordained. He knew ahead of time he was going to do it. But anyway, here comes Jesus, goes through three and a half years of, of ministry after growing up, just like all of us grew up, as a human being. And after three and a half years of ministry, then comes a time of suffering that we call the Passion. And uh, in Lent, we do without so that we can receive more. We do with less so we can understand more about his love and the price he paid and the value of what he accomplished on the cross and the power of the resurrection. 
Well, the resurrection was an explosion because up until the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, he could only reach the people who could hear him, see him, or hear the few people who could be around the physical person, Jesus Christ. So at most, he reached thousands. And if we were to put up, you know, a picture of, of the geographical earth and civilizations that were known at that time, we're talking about just a little microcosm, almost a molecule of humanity. How was God's plan going to be released to the entire race of human beings? And the plan involved the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and then what we're going to look at in the Scriptures again, uh, and it's described in the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because it's that time and through the Holy Spirit that God dwells in people. This was promised in the prophets hundreds and thousands of years earlier, that he would give us new hearts. And instead of following an outside set of rules, do's and don'ts and all these things, that you're always limited and always flawed, and especially when people start enforcing them, they get goofy and usually produce the opposite effect of what they're supposed to do. But what if God came inside, instead of us following an outward law, he put something in our hearts? I like to think of a radioactive isotope that works from the inside out. So when God through the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in each one of us individually, that means we, get, we can communicate directly with him. As odd and as rare as that seems, it should be daily occurrence for us. But he begins to communicate to us and give us power to do something. And we need to look and see what he's going to do. The whole point is that after the resurrection, and 40 days later when the Holy Spirit came from that point, Jesus took a great risk, but also we get to see the exponential, actually beyond that, the exponential math of God. His plan was to send out many Christs, to send out himself, to duplicate himself in people. And you guys are familiar with John 3.16, but we need to look at it a different way, and we're going to see how, why it's actually valid to do that. John 3.16, it's one we all memorize, or many of us memorize as children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The point is, for God so loved this hot mess that we live in, these broken, hurting people, or proud people who think they've got it all together, they can figure it all out, and they're all in control until a tornado hits. You know, we've really... Anyway, we build a false idea of our world in control. All we need to do is have an uh, energy grid go down, and we find out just how primitive we are. <laughs> anyway, we can rewrite that. We can see through Scriptures to say, for Jesus now so loves the world that he sends out you and me. Because that is an exact handoff. That is exactly what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see in scriptures why that is a very logical, solid, powerful understanding of why the church exists. We do not exist just to build buildings. We do not exist just to run programs. We exist to spread the good news and the hope and the healing, the purpose and the vast vision of God to fix a broken world and to establish a kingdom that is beautiful and perfect and has eternal purpose. 
And so let's get to it. Pastor Devin said last week, there is something seriously wrong with this world. It only takes an ounce of logic to figure that out. I, I think sometimes think the law of entropy was created at the fall when things were broken. And uh, the law of entropy, and I can, some of you guys are actually very scientific in here, but uh, I'm going to get into it in a little bit, just, to, just a bit. But basically it means everything loses energy and it runs down <laughs> unless you add energy to it. And uh, everything about this world is gradually deteriorating. Uh, there's a very sad commentary supposedly about the uh, male chromosomes and uh, human DNA that were gradually disintegrating and losing our energy, losing our oomph. You know, I don't know if that's hyperbole or not, but we'll find out. But it kind of fits with the pattern of things in this planet. We'd like to think that that straight lines go on forever and ever. We'll find out that space bends. We'll find out all kinds of things that surprise us when we thought we had it in a nice, neat box with the bow tied. The more we discover, the more we learn that we know so little. Now, let's get to what we do know. The gospel in, Jesus, in, in America today, you know, is the gospel is the good news of Jesus his love and his kingdom of God. Where this is his plan to fix those things which are wrong in this world. We have made it very small by making it all about me and mine. When everything about the gospel has to do about them and others. The scriptures teach us that Jesus came and became a servant of all. When he actually left a throne to do that. And he said that and that stated for us to be an example for us how to live our lives as followers of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is more than signing a membership card. It's more than uh, walking through a door and then walking back out again. It's more than fire insurance. You know, so you won't go to hell. This is, there's so much more to this, guys. Being a follower of Jesus means to follow him. And three of the Gospels, they're called the synoptic or similar Gospels, all three of those, Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's his definition of a follower. If that isn't involved, there's no following. If there's no following, there's no follower. It's involved. It means follow Jesus, duplicate him. Now, that doesn't mean we have to do everything like him. Look, how, look at the varied lives of even the 12 disciples. They went all different directions. They functioned different ways within their gifts, their anointings, the flavor of the garden hose, so to speak. God allowed that, seemed to delight in the differences and the unique things of each person. If you go and look through the church, you see that it seems that Jesus defied much of what the status quo was. He chose to use women. He elevated the role of women in a uh, paternal society. It really wasn't built for that, but that's what Jesus did. He elevated people. He chose to elevate slaves in a society where slavery was fully accepted, approved, and accommodated. Jesus went against so many things that seemed to be normal. And the reason was because normal for God is a different set of normal than what we have on this planet. That's part of the fix that Jesus is putting in. Now, Pastor Devin last week read um, really the commissioning verse. It appears in Isaiah 61 when the prophet 
by the Spirit of God prophesied what would come. Well, Jesus took that passage from Isaiah 61 and quoted it. You see it in Luke 4. I'm going to reread it again for you. It's Luke 4, 18 through 19. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus quoted that at the launch of his adult ministry. He waited in obedience to the guidelines and procedures of Jewish custom and culture. And at the age of 30, officially, uh, a Jewish young man becomes a man and can take political office or leadership role or priesthood or all kinds of things, but not until the age of 30. They can do all kinds of things, but by the age of 30, they're officially released to do the things they need to do. So he waited until the age of 30, and this is how he launched the ministry. This defines what he did. Every single thing Jesus did fits within these parameters, and I have news for you. This is our call. Has a change. The core of our master is the core of our lives. When we take up our cross, we deny ourselves daily. That's Lent. Deny ourselves daily and follow him. We're following him, dragging our cross right in the line of his feet. And this is what he's doing. This is where the gospel, gospel ears are sent at all levels, whether it's in your neighborhood, in your own house, to your own children or family members or to someone in Africa, Asia, or Europe. Missions and the Great Commission are simply the extension of Jesus' ministry beyond the resurrection through us, the church. I'm going to say that again. Missions and the Great Commission are simply the extension of Jesus' mission beyond the resurrection through us, the church. And I'll tell you that final words are vital words. If you want to know what's important, look at the final words. When, when historians try to chronicle the lives of people that we consider famous, people who affected the planet, who affected the earth. They want to look at their final words. When they're going through their papers, their books, they want to look at the, at the pinnacle of their life after they've lived their life looking back. What do they say looking over the decades of their life, their accomplishments, whether they're books or skyscrapers or scientific discoveries? What do they have to say at the end of their days? I'd love to know what was in Stephen Hawking's mind when he passed. I have great respect for him. I wish he would have received the Lord. We, none of us know if he did or not, you know, because you just don't know right up to the end. But I would wonder what th went through that man's mind, perhaps the greatest living scientist we had until his passing this week. I would love to know what was in the, life, the minds of so many people who passed this year now, historians have had time to go through some of the final writings of many of the greats in our uh, past as a human race. But we do know what was in Jesus' mind because they're recorded for us in the Gospels and in other places as well. We're going to look at some of the final words of Jesus, and they have to do with you and me. They have to do with missions. They have to do with Lent and what happened at Easter. Uh, Luke 24 Verse 49, a quick one here. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he said, Look, I'm sending to you what my Father promised, but you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. Remember, the author of Luke 
It's also the author of Acts. Acts 1.8. This is Jesus. I mean, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Listen to the three levels. In Jerusalem, actually there's four if you divide them. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the world, end of the earth. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we have some more final words by Jesus. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Tremendous, tremendous calling and delivery there. John 17, verses 18 through 20. This one's crucial. This is part of the high priestly prayer, the final prayer of Jesus in the garden. Moments later, after this prayer, Judas Iscariot arrives with soldiers, and the passion begins. I mean, moments after this prayer. These are the final words of Jesus before his death. The only ones after this are some of his uh, interactions with the priests and the high priest and with Pilate, and then his final words to John concerning his mother Mary. But these are, these are his final words in his prayer. <clears throat> this is what he says. As you sent me into the world, he's speaking to his father in prayer, so I have sent them into the world. Okay, so right now you're thinking, oh, the twelve. I made myself holy on their behalf so that they also would be made holy in the truth. I'm not praying only for them, the twelve, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. That means every believer after the twelve. If you doubt it, go back to the book of Acts and you see that it was 120 in that upper room obeying Jesus' commands. And then we'll find out that when Jesus uh, ascended from the earth, the counts vary anywhere from 500 to 800 people actually went, witnessed the movement of Jesus from earth to heaven and the final words there. This concerns so much more than the 12. Jesus was after exponential multiplication and duplication. He was after recreating himself in you and me. And if you go through the history of how the gospel survived, how God intervened time and time again to preserve the gospel, uh, it is astounding and amazing to see the plan of God work out despite every effort and every obstacle came in its way. So what's, what's the big deal for us today? This applies to us. Missions is for us. There's a reason as a little kid I was touched, you know, on Mission Sunday. There's something special about that. There's something that challenged me. And it wasn't just me, every kid in the place. We were interested, not, not just because we were nearly bored out of our mind. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But there was, there was more besides. There was something, I think what it was, is something about it speaks to the eternal nature in us. All of us in this room had a birth date where our, our cognitive moment begins. The Scriptures say, actually, that in the mind of God, we existed before that. For instance, Isaiah is told prophetically that while he was yet in his mother's womb, God called him into his being. But there's something. We do know that we have a moment where we are born. 
And there's a mystery about that. But we know that from that moment on, we are eternal creatures. Whether we're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, it doesn't matter. If we are human beings and we are born into this earth, we are eternal creatures from that moment forward. And how that eternity is spent is up to our choices and our will. But because of that, I believe that all human beings at moment have moments where eternity invades their moment, their average day, and they suddenly sense, I was created for more than this. There are thoughts in my head that are bigger than anything I've experienced or seen. There are longings in my heart that are greater than anything I can explain. And that has led people... Even if they never even met the Lord, it has led them to accomplish incredible things. I believe that is part of the divine imprint. Remember, if you go back to Genesis, that we are clearly told that we were made in the image and after the likeness of God. So we have that, that thing in us that's so much larger than just our limitations that we face. And some of us are better than others at, at reaching beyond boundaries and accomplishing things. But if you can get this thing, the one thing that we know we're all called to, this missions thing, we're not, we're not all called to sell all of our belongings and, you know, go to Asia or Africa or Europe. That would be ridiculous. But we are all called to respond some way. And some of the greatest things done seem to be small, but they weren't. I mean, just think about the Sunday school teacher in, uh, I forget what city it was. I think it was Minneapolis. But he just patiently taught a rowdy group of kids for years and years and years um, during what was called the Sunday school movement. And one of them happened to be Billy Graham. Uh, same thing happens. Uh, there's a grandmother that patiently worked with her boneheaded grandson in the back hills of Oklahoma. Uh, mostly Cherokee family, and uh, this kid was good at sports and really didn't want to have much to do with God, then <clears throat> uh, collapsed, found out that he had actually acquired tuberculosis, and there was no hope for him, and this grandmother was a praying grandmother, and she just prayed and would not let go, and uh, was joined by his sister, and his name was Oral Roberts. His life was turned around and changed forever because somebody considered their mission field to be their home and their family, and they just kept at it, and they kept at it, and they kept at it. And as a result, millions of lives were reached for the gospel of Jesus. I want to encourage you guys. This, if we can get this down, it's going to change the way we go. There's several benefits that I want to talk about quickly about missions. If we get this thing in our heart, missions, this, this idea of going. Jesus says, go ye into all the world. That go ye, that's, a, that's an action word. You know, it, translated in English, it means go. Backwards, you know, aug, I guess. But it's just go. We're supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work. Going keeps the church healthy. Focused on the big picture, selfless and sacrificial. Obedience to God's go command at every level forces us to lay aside differences and move to the common things that we believe and, and put our focus on the king and his kingdom. Going puts us at the risk of rejection and failure. That doesn't sound really good, does it? One time, uh, Barb and uh, her late husband, 
Jim asked me to uh, speak to some uh, 20-somethings and some older teenagers from another city, and they'd come to visit. They're thinking about uh, going with Youth with a Mission for a while. You have to sign up for three to six months and go through a discipleship training, and then you go overseas. And uh, they asked me to talk to them about it, and so <clears throat> uh, they found out that my method of recruitment is a little different. And I said, you really don't want to go there. You do not want to go to YWAM and Ozark. It is a pain in the rear. Uh, it will push you to the limit. You will be scared out of your wits when you go. You'll be put at risk. And if God doesn't show up, listen, guys, you're toast. And every one of them signed up. Because there's something in us that wants to do something that's beyond our own strength. We want to go past the boundary. We want to accomplish something great. And that's really what missions is. That's what the call of God is to us. If, if you can do a thing, even if it's a good, if it's a great thing, and there's a lot of good things in the world that <clears throat> aren't ungodly, but they're not God either. They're, they're fine. But they won't change lives. They won't change you significantly. But then there are those things that you cannot accomplish in your own strength. If God doesn't show up, you are toast. If God doesn't supply the resources, you will fall short. If God doesn't show up with a miracle, then you will fail. And those are the finest moments of your life. Because at that point, you have to lean on a power and a source of God beyond yourself. That's when you discover He is real. I have, uh, my life has been transformed by every time I have touched missions at all. Uh, my early days, whether it was with, on the staff at Youth for Christ as a mess, they still love me and put up with me. Um, working with hurting kids and youth ranches. Um, I remember my first trip to Guatemala. It was my first missions trip overseas. Went to Guatemala uh, with a, a, a group of Mennonites. That was always interesting. Um, and we were sent to uh, see descendants of the Mayans deep in Guatemala. This group, they were uh, a large people who had been converted to Christianity. And right after that, they had the worst, at that point it was the worst massacre on the planet. The nation of Guatemala was censored by the UN uh, as the worst travesty that existed. They killed 100,000 Christian descendants of the Mayans, the government did, because they were uh, non-Hispanic. I mean, racism goes all different ways, guys. Because these were um, native Indians, they didn't speak Spanish. Uh, all of the Mayan dialects sound like um, they sound a lot like Klingon. If you guys have ever heard Klingon, they just sound Germanic or Russian or something. There's no Hispanic, there's no Latin lilt and rhythm and beauty to it. It is purely guttural language uh, and a very literal language. And so they, when they go in, they're the dominant races of Guatemala and throughout Central America. But when they go into a marketplace in a large city, they try and find a Spanish speaker to negotiate for them. This is the group that's targeted by the government because they're a nuisance. So they killed 100,000 Christian uh, Mayan descendants. 
And these were the people we were sent to, and that had just happened about three years before we went down there. There had been a change of government. <clears throat> it was still dangerous. They had to route us different ways to avoid banditos and stuff like that. But we went there supposedly to teach these people how to worship. But when they arrived, we were surrounded by a room full of people, many of whom had walked for eight miles through the mountains. Guatemala is mostly mountains with a few flat places. And uh, a beautiful place, but rugged and dangerous. And those folks worshipped with such freedom and fierceness. I mean, a gentle fierceness, but I mean, they were... 120% in. When they prayed, they prayed. When they worshiped, it literally almost scared us because the, they were so loud and um, the, the fire in the place just overtook us. Frankly, we didn't teach them a thing. They taught us about worship. But it changed my heart. And the reason their worship was so pure wasn't just, you know, their culture and stuff like that. It was that they had been purified through persecution, through hard times. To be a Christian, it could cost them their lives. Most of the people there already had family members that had been killed because they professed Christ. And they were so joyful, they put us to shame. I was just amazed that it changed me. It ruined me forever. And uh, we were able to encourage them and do some things. But I tell you, they changed me more than I changed them. And I just, there's something about missions. If you get a chance to go on a missions trip at any level, at any level, do it. It will change you. We'll talk about it a little bit as we go. <sighs> Answering this call, it moves us outside our artificial safe zone. Like I say, we kind of live in a plastic bubble. You know, one of our greatest fears in America is that uh, we'll have, is it an EMF? I always forget these acronyms. But anyway, uh, electro, electromagnetic field or something. Whenever it comes, it basically fries everything electronic and electrical. And uh, they're very real. The, the weapons exist. We just hope they don't come our way, I guess. But if that happened, you know, it could put us back in Ice Age for a good while. Um, we live in a bubble. And that's one that, you know, if you actually go to a, a really rugged place, it's interesting. For Americans, we have to really uh, make some major adjustments. But going to another place is very healthy because it resets us. It lets us get a better grip on the real world, the broader world, the world that is a mess, the world that is hurting. It also lets us see the richness and the value outside of our world that maybe we've lost, the love for family the strength of the family unit, the love for some of the most basic values of what God intended for us to live with. Hallelujah. Let me move on. I'm kind of slowing down here. Uh, we watched our grandkids all week long. Hallelujah. Praise God. And uh, I love my grandkids, but I really am a grandpa now. I've discovered I cannot carry two grandkids as far as I used to, especially with the third one on the leg. It really slows me down. I just don't know. And uh, keeping up with Rachel, whoo-hoo, that's, that's fun. Anyway, so uh, both if uh, Pastor Chase actually stayed awake while I'm preaching, that's good, especially since my preaching is so excited today. 
working on. As soon as we uh, handed our wonderful grandchildren off to the other grandparents, the sleepers, <clears throat> you guys doing okay? You haven't fallen asleep yet? Good. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lord, that Pastor Devin and Pastor Nisa have a break. Thank you when they come back. Hallelujah. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, as soon as that happened, then the two nights that I had left to prepare for this, uh, Sinus visited me. So I was up. You know how you have to kind of get at the right angle so that if you won't lay down and drown and you won't stay up and you can't sleep, so you got to try and get... That's how I spent most of my nights. <clears throat> and so in the few moments of clarity that I had mentally, I prepared this message. And now in the few moments clarity left, I'm trying to deliver the message. Can you imagine the second service? It's going to be good. Where are we at? It's 10.39. I need to finish because we have some stuff to do. The devil's recurring nightmare. Listen, I am convinced that he has nightmares of ordinary Christians. See, the problem is the weakest Christian has enough power in their little finger through Jesus to completely transform a human life. Do you understand? Even within our, nobody in this room is perfect. No Christian has ever been perfect. Never will be until we're with Jesus. But in spite of that, if we let the real love of Jesus shine, where we care about people as much as we care about ourselves, it's enough to transform a life. And I think that the, the devil has nightmares. I believe he exists. I believe that he's a fallen angel and has great power and great intellect, but he's not God. And uh, he is fallen. But he's probably the best psychologist the planet has ever seen other than the Creator because he's had since the beginning to see how humans work and how we crack and how, our, how to work our weak points and to see weaknesses in family lines. He's had all of this to understand. So, but one thing he's also seen is God loves to work with weak people. He loves to work with weaknesses because we've all got weaknesses. Some of us are smart in the head and weak in the body. Other are weak in the body and something's wrong with the head. But anyway, God takes what he has and he works with us and he works miracles. So if he can get an ordinary set of people to accept the call of Jesus to follow in his footsteps and to care about other people, we can turn the world upside down. And the reason it works is because it's exponential. I'm not talking about beating people over the head, you know, yelling at them, you know, turn or burn, sucker. The end is coming. I'm glad you're going. You know, it's not the way you, you spread the gospel. We're talking about a gospel of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that only begotten son so loved the world that he gave you and me. You and I have a calling. The church exists to make a difference in people's lives. That's why we're here. We're here to go for the same group described in Luke 4. If you ever lose your way, and you will, if you ever get jaded over the messed up people in the church, the messed up people in your family, well, you can't get away from them, you know, the messed up people everywhere, go back to Luke 4 recapture the heart of Jesus and why he came and why he put up with all the stuff he had to put up with while he was here. That's it. That is the call. And that's the call of missions that's extended. The goal is to pass the light and the love of Jesus to the next generation, to the next country, to the next county, to the, next, to the neighbor next door. 
and not by looking at them as notches on your pistol. The goal is to share the best thing that's ever happened in your life with people wherever you find them, and not just in words. Frankly, in America, because of the way we're geared, people are more interested in your deeds first. Yeah, you can tell them the gospel, but just live it first. Most of uh, people that come to the Lord now in America probably come because either in crisis, because we are people and God has to, he makes the use of those crises to come. I'm not convinced that he causes the crisis. But when crises come, he's there. That's one of those times we'll finally listen and reach out and hope there's a God in heaven. Even atheists many times at their moment of death will cry out for God. But I'm telling you here, I just encourage you that we are supposed to have this heart. Missions is not an add-on option. It's not an event in a church calendar. It's a driving force. Spreading the good news of God's love and his kingdom. It's the driving motivation behind Jesus' coming. It was the driving motivation to the cross. It's also the number one reason God sent the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. The Holy Spirit came to give us power, not so we can have great services or uh, talk or brag about supernatural gifts. The Holy Spirit was given the primary reason, the number one reason was because of this drive in us to be witnesses. And I'm not talking about just witnessing at people, but to be living proof that there's a God who cares. Look at me. I'm a mess and God loved me. No, I know God loves you too. God loves you right where you're at, complete with your conditions, with your sin, with your garbage, with your mixed up thinking. He loves you and he cares about you. That's how you share with other people. You don't beat them up. You don't knock them down. You don't talk about how much you're better than they are because you aren't. We are saved by grace, by the mercy of God. And it's time for loving, compassionate people to put feet to what we're supposed to do. And every time you or I or this church cares for the poor, every time we reach out to people that are bruised, every time we reach out to the hopeless, every time we minister to little children, what does the Scripture say? Suffer the little children to come unto me, for as such are the kingdom of God. You guys, every time we do something like that, we're doing the things that are in the very heart of God. We're following in the footsteps of Jesus. That's the message on missions. And in Lent, you know, this week, begin to pray. And I dare you, I double-dog dare you, start praying, including your prayer, Lord, this day belongs to you. Direct my steps today. Give me an opportunity to make a difference. And he will take you up on it. In fact, it'll scare you. I mean, I've prayed that prayer before, and I've ended up on buses talking to guys that were AWOL from the military, talking with people that were running away from home. I found myself on airplanes talking with rejected kids being bounced between parents that didn't want them and leading them to the Lord just as the wheels landed on the, on the strip. I've, you guys, I found myself talking to bus drivers in downtown Tulsa because I prayed that prayer and God landed me in weird places. <laughs>